Hey, I'm Caleb, and this is the podcast named Unbelievable, a conversation with... the Unbelievable podcast, A Conversation With. And today I'm speaking to Tim Farron, the ex-leader of the Liberal Democrats and still a politician today in the UK. Hi, Tim. Well, hello, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Hey. And so, I mean, just to start with, obviously you're you're an MP, but Westminster politics wasn't really your first experience of politics, was it? Where did your love for politics kind of start and grow? And where did the drive to become an MP come from? That's a really good question. Um, I'll try and uh, condense it. Uh, lots of things you could say had an impact on my uh, political awakening. I watched Kathy come home when I was 14. Um, and if that means anything to you, it was made four years before even I was born and I'm ancient. Um, but it was repeated when I was about 14. I think that's where it, I saw it. But in any event, I joined Shelter as a result. Um, if you don't know Kathy come home, it's a very, very realistic Ken Loach film about the plight of a homeless woman um, uh, and it, it descends pretty horribly. Her experience is awful. It's a tragic program. It left me in floods of tears. Uh, I've watched it twice, once when I was 14, once when I was 46. It made me cry both times. It made me very angry that there were plenty of people who could have helped her and didn't. It was all, although it was a play, although it was a and drama, it was all based on real stuff that happened in the UK that year. Um, so that got me to do our political thing and join Shelter. I joined the Liberals when I was 16. And one of the most useful things, a really, I think, providential thing, actually, so a really good friend of mine, as he has since become, uh, joined me up uh, for £1.50 to the Liberals, as we were there in 1986, in my first week at sixth form. Um, and he, yeah, he did get me involved in student politics, you know, um, but he also uh, directed me towards what I'm going to say were a, a wonderful group of um, liberal Methodist little old ladies in the town of Leyland uh, in Lancashire, who were the local councillors and their team. And for those people, so it, it made me realise that politics is about serving people and about helping people, winning powers, so you can do some good. And they wanted to win elections and it wasn't glamorous, but it was, I, in looking back, that balance of my, you know, mid-late teens, where I'd be doing my A-levels, I was in a terrible band, I had my young mates, I was going to the pub underage, and I was spending a lot of my spare time at Jumble Sales and Living Leafers, the bunch of little old ladies. I mean, what a wonderfully varied uh, start to life that was. But it made me see that politics was not so much about winning arguments and being self-righteous, but it was about winning powers so you could do some good. And so, long story short... You ended up in Westminster politics. Uh, now for what, 16 years or something like that? You won in 2005? Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got some stats here I was I was interested by. So um, you've been Liberal Democrat uh, leader between 2015 and 17. You've voted, according to one on one website, 1,264 times now, which is really something in 16 years. <laughs> So can you tell me a bit about your experience in Westminster? So um, obviously we're doing a lot of it remotely and online at the moment and probably the last 
50 of those votes were done virtually or via proxy. But um, it is a so it's a if you know part of Westminster, you know, it's a very impressive and great place. I can say that I've only ever been there twice on school trips before I got elected to Parliament. Um, so I'm not somebody who knew it inside out. I'm not really a Parliament man. Um, uh, I'm somebody who thinks is a place where you go to work to serve your community and to make points that you are passionate about. Um, so, uh, but it, you know, obviously you're there at the beginning and I saw all these great people, um, you know, your, your Blairs and your Hagues and your Paisleys and your Salmons and your Charles Kennedys and people like that. Um, and one thing that's really, you know, from a Christian point of view, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But do remember the position you've been given is really important because you're there to speak on behalf of, what, 70, 80,000 people. Um, and whilst you should be humble about yourself, you shouldn't be humble about the role. You're there to muscle in to every debate because the people of your patch deserve someone to fight their corner for them. So I hope I've always got the balance right. I hope I've... Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware that the kind of the sin, the uh, the vice that affects most politicians is vanity. Um, and somebody once said that politics is showbiz for ugly people. You know, um, and that, you know, you're not particularly you're desperate to be talked about, to be seen, and all the rest of it. But you have no discernible talents. So you end up in politics. I, I've, I've always been aware of that temptation, and done my best to avoid it. So yeah. it's a it's an interesting place. It's a place where there's quite a lot of Christians. So I mean, I have fellowship with a lot of people who are not in my party and it's uh, a really good way of, sort of building bridges a lot across party divides um uh, but in the end no it's a place to go and get stuff done for your patch it's not a place for you to wallow in so you've kind of touched on faith a tiny bit there faith has definitely played a big role in your politics um and particularly in the run-up to the 2017 election so can you tell me a bit about that well, look, I, I mean, I am um, a Christian and uh, I wasn't brought up in a Christian household. Um, but uh, I became a Christian at 18, just before I went to university, um, because by accident, although no things are actually by accident, it certainly wasn't by my design, I ended up reading a load of books. Um, and the thought occurred to me, oh, flipping neck, it's true. So to kind of sort of paraphrase C.S. Lewis, who was also an atheist before um, he became a Christian, um, you know, I, I was a very reluctant convert. I was not looking to become a Christian. Um, and indeed, I, I lapsed in my faith in my 20s. And um, when I came back um, to living, seeking to live for Jesus, it was as a result of reading a book by an atheist, Carl Sagan, who I loved to bits. Um, if you're all obsessed with all the Mars stuff at the moment, well, he was all about Mars, and the first rover is named after him um, today. He died in 97 or so, sadly. Um, but he wrote a book called Cosmos, and it kept returning to the theme um, that Christianity in, in particular and religion in general had held us back. Um, and he was sort of anti-Christianity. And, um, and it occurred to me that I hadn't fallen away from following Jesus because I, I agree with Carl Sagan. I hadn't um, come to believe it wasn't true. I'd just come to feel it was inconvenient. <laughs> um, and so that my rejection of Christianity through my mid-20s, late-20s, was just this intellectually dishonest. Christianity was still as true um, as it ever had been, and it is true, um, much as it may feel inconvenient. Um, 
And so, well, you know, I'm cutting a long story short, but I ended up becoming leader. I've been president of the Liberal Democrats during the time we were in coalition government. Um, and given our leader was busy running the country, that meant that I was in a leadership position more than I would have been in that role normally. Then we get annihilated, the Lib Dems, in 2015. I'm one of only eight remaining MPs. and I get elected leader in a contest with my friend uh, Norman Lamb. Um, and almost immediately, there's a focus on my faith. Um, because, you know, let's be honest, um, the Bible is countercultural and quite shocking in some of what it says. And um, in particular, actually, when it comes to recognising that we're not in control of our own lives, that God is. Um, and and so I was, you know, um, pursued, shall we say, by a number of journalists who just thought that was the story. Let's hear this man who's a liberal, but he believes in ultimate truth. How can he be a liberal? And. Um, and so I would be asked all sorts of these questions. And in the end, you know, I, I went through the 2017 election. I'm going to point out that only three Lib Dem leaders in history have ever increased the number of seats the party got in a general election. They are Paddy Ashdown, Charles Kennedy and me. Um, but nevertheless, um, I got to the end of that election and I just thought I am being pursued and asked about what I think about the Bible more than I am about what the policies of the Liberal Democrats are, which when you lead with the Liberal Democrats is quite a problem. And I felt I had well three choices really choice one was continue do, do my best falteringly and i failed often um to give truthful answers when people ask me questions about my faith in which case i'd be distracting completely from my job as being the liberal democrat leader because of what the journalists wanted to talk about option two effectively lie um and deny my faith or say it's not that important um and then at least be able to concentrate on being lib dem leader or thirdly, recognise that those are appalling choices. Be a terrible Christian or be a very bad leader. Well, I don't want to do either of those things, so I'll step back. And although, you know, I joined the Liberals at 16, I loved the party, I never expected to be an MP. It wasn't my, you know, I mean, I might have been idealistic and enthusiastic at 16, but I wasn't so utterly stupid and innocent to think that joining the Liberals was a good career move. I knew it wasn't. Um, so I never expected to be an MP, really. But I ended up becoming a councillor, became an MP, became a front bencher, became the party president, became leader. You know, in a sense, you know, I achieved this great ambition and then I gave it up. And I gave it up because it's more important to follow Jesus than it is to tick boxes in your bucket list. And so you've kind of you've you've talked about you've talked about truth and particularly at the moment um, politics globally. Uh, it feels as if truth is a commodity, really. It feels as if it's something being thrown around and um, not treated properly. So what was the importance of truth then in an open and fair society democracy like we have? So a real problem that both the left and the right has in politics, both you know liberals and authoritarians, um, um, traditionalists, modernists have in common, is that they have a habit of reinventing the past and thinking that yesterday was better than today or that today was better than yesterday and they're generally speaking only ever half right and one danger we have is that we think there was some time in the past um, when politics was full of truth and honesty and conviction and today there's just a bunch of you know they're just a shower of liars and um, i think politicians have always had a, a poor reputation um, and politics has but human beings uh, i mean if we believe what the bible tells us human beings are what we refer to as sinners in other words they're people who've who are imperfect do bad stuff voluntarily and involuntarily 
and and given that politics are full of human beings surprise surprise um it is far 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 from perfect the worry i have this is the danger of me falling into the same trap i just said people fall into is i think things have got worse um, so have politicians have seen, you know, lied from time to time? Yes, human beings do lie from time to time. But I think what's happened, as we've moved away from, you know, intellectual left-right discussions to this kind of culture war um, that we've got into over the last 10 or 20 years, people belong to a tribe. And uh, it's no longer a case of what you believe, it's a case of who you believe. So, you know, a, a leader, a candidate for president or prime minister can say outrageous things that are just not true. They've either not thought about whether they're true or, or not, um, or they know they're not true and they just said them anyway. And two things will happen. Um, the people who are on the other side won't believe them, but they wouldn't have believed them if they told the truth anyway. And the people on their side will believe them because it's their guy. And, and even if they don't believe them, they think, ha ha, he stuck it to the other side. Um, and, and so that means that truth is becoming even more precious and even more rare. And I think there's a real, you know, not everybody watching this is a Christian. I'm going to say to Christians, especially, but to everybody, you must treasure the truth. And that means that you can be really, really, really careful. You know, thou shalt not bear false witness means not pressing retweet on something you aren't sure it's true or not. Not sharing something on Facebook that might fit your agenda, but you can't be sure it's true or not. So just being the person who, not being the person who started the lie isn't enough. Don't amplify the lie either, particularly when you're not sure whether it is or isn't a lie. Thank you. And so... Um... You you mentioned you you'd been leader and you resigned with that kind of decision up in the air, and in your resignation speech you finished it by saying, "Imagine how proud I am to lead this party, and then imagine what it what would lead me to voluntarily relinquish that honour." In the words of Isaac Watts, it would have to be something so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. That's a really powerful statement. So. What is the thing then so unbelievable that you would be willing to give up one of the most senior political positions you could possibly be in for? We may have overstayed the last bit, uh, but <laughs> I was only the leader of the Liberal Democrats. But no, I, I, uh, but no, so it felt very senior to me. And certainly I was self-aware enough to know that it was the highest I was ever going to reach. And I'd only done two years. And there's a heck of a job ahead of me that I could have done. Um, and um, so what is it? Well, look, we just talked about truth. Um, truth is a concept, truth is a statement. No, to Christians, truth is a person, is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ's claims are specific, unique, and utterly compelling if you will give yourself the time just to look at them. There is nobody like him that has ever existed uh, before or since. I'm going to say this, there is not a single, people will talk, oh, all religions are kind of the same, you know. One human being in the history of planet Earth has claimed to be God and been taken seriously by any serious number of people. One person. And if you dismiss that one unique person without examining what those claims were and what they mean for you, I'm going to say this in the most loving way possible, you're an absolute blinking fool a fool it might be rubbish but you don't know that until you've investigated 
what he had to say. And I was struck as an 18 year old and I'm struck today by the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. His claim to be um, in existence before the universe came into existence and yet humble to be one who had the power to sort of defeat and to overcome death, to be one who lowered himself to the most appalling of experiences whilst being the king of the universe. And I just think that his claims are so astonishing that if they're true, every other ambition is just nothing, nothing in comparison. It's all passing. And I think this helps and maybe is to, to look at politics and this life in a different context. Living for yourself for your own pleasure. I mean, I don't, I'm not a nihilist, right? But if you're not a Christian, I don't see any other alternative worldview that makes any sense. You're going to live for a few, you know, I'm 50. I am more than halfway through my life, almost certainly. All the, in my life has gone like that, you know? I, I remember it like yesterday, joined the Liberals at 16. Life is short. And all your pleasures are fleeting and totally meaningless if the Bible's not true. And if the Bible is true, they are meaningful, but they're still short and they're brief. And what matters is um, uh, where you're going next and whether your life has meaning. And it, the offer is to have life which is completely full of meaning and purpose by your faith in Christ, not by your efforts. Um, otherwise, you know, if my if my place in eternity was down to my effort i am stuffed i am stuffed i would i might make a commitment at seven o'clock in the morning i'll have blown it by elevensies you know but if your if your safety and your security eternally is in the hands of this jesus of whom we read in the bible you are safe as houses you are secure and home and that's why it's worth giving up every and any pleasure to follow him because the pleasure of following him is something I can't even begin to describe. There's loads of evidence as to why you should become a Christian. And it might sound like a bit of a cop-out, but that real evidence, you only find on the other side once you become one and you realise that he's exactly who he says he is. Well, thank you for taking the time to have a conversation with us today. Um, I'd really encourage anyone listening to get in contact with us. If you've got any questions, uh, you can do that on our Facebook or on our Instagram at UECU. So get in contact with us. We'd love to answer your questions and we'd love to see you at other events this week. <laughs>